to the lightning round. Welcome. Hello, and welcome to the Dave Kirshner Lightning Round Podcast. It is the midweek show. It is episode 53. We're talking preparedness, people. I think that was probably one of the better decisions I made was to split the podcast so I could focus my energies on one topic in each um, episode. So you get two, two episodes a week. One is preparedness. That's the midweek show. And the other one deals with the current administration that was installed through fraudulent means in a, in a hacked election. It's my opinion. I'm entitled to it. And as I said in episode 52, I will never stop complaining about that election. I just won't, you know. Hell, I still have a grudge against some high school girlfriend that I had. <laughs> that was over 30 years ago. I'm not letting it go, man. I'm just not. I know it's probably not healthy, but I don't care. That's me. But the midweek show, I think we're on episode 53. Ooh, voice cracked. It's episode 53, and we're in week 55 of uh, The Jackass. And we'll talk about him on the weekend show. (laughs) So uh, in this episode, we are going to, um, I'm going to answer a reader-submitted question. So that should be fun. And then I'm going to give you two lists. And I found these, I was cleaning my office, um, and I'm a, I'm a bit of a, I like things on paper, because if I don't print it, then I forget I, 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 that I had it, or where to access it, um, but I, I printed a bunch of things, and these, this, the pile of paperwork that I found um, had about a dozen articles in it, and I, the reason I turned around and looked, if you're on the video, uh, is because I have them scattered on the floor. <laughs> anyway, um, so there's two lists. One is 18 vintage homesteading tools to look for at garage sales. And the other one is 23 medicinal plants Native Americans use on a daily basis. Uh, based on the dates that are on these printouts, um, I printed the vintage tools list. In, uh, in in December of 2018. <laughs> Oops. Forgot I had that. All right. So the reason I forgot I had stuff is because uh, I had printed them. <laughs> Shh. I printed them at work. <laughs> and then COVID happened. And, uh, and so when, I, when COVID happened, I cleaned out my file cabinet at work. And it went into my little trusty box that they gave everybody because they were sending everybody to work from home. And um, what is this? Oh. Um, and so I decided to try and address my box. So <laughs> that's what I found all my papers. Uh, and the medicinal plants was, uh, let's see, that one's from July of 2018. So, um, you know, and it even, it even came with a, I, I, I went to the printer and I put the three-hole punch paper in to the big old corporate commercial size printer. <laughs> so it's already three-hole punch to go into my binders, which is why I printed these to go into the... I, I have binders, and 
when I find an article that's worthwhile, I hold on to it, and if, especially if it if it taught me something. Um, so that's that. We're gonna go through those two lists, but the listener support uh, listener submitted question was, and I'm paraphrasing because I I did not print that. <laughs> the question was, how did you become a prepper? Your basically what they said was that the about page on my website just kind of tells you about me as a person, how I grew up, where I grew up, uh, siblings, uh, current profession, uh, things of that nature. And the answer to that question um, is, is probably similar to a lot of the answers to people that listen to this podcast. Uh, the the impetus actually started as a child, as a Boy Scout. It's actually in their motto, be prepared. Um, so when you're growing up in the woods in Northern Virginia before D.C. you know, spread like a virus all over Northern Virginia and, and Maryland, um, you know, I lived in a little town called Clifton uh, in Fairfax County and we just, we lived in the woods, you know, this was, you know, my brothers were born, my brothers and I were born in the late 60s and early 70s, and, you know, when you have four boys at home, you know, your mom's like, go outside and play. <laughs> when you hear the bell, it's time for dinner. <laughs> that's how, that's how we rolled. Um, but it was always in the back of my mind, and, and then... I think with a lot of people, 9-11 happened, um, and we saw uh, we saw the government response, and, you know, you got the distinct feeling that you were kind of on your own. Um, you know, now we were being targeted by terrorists. Um, people were getting very antsy. They didn't want to go to their offices, uh, especially high-rise buildings. I was living in Charlotte at the time, and... Uh, so that was that was kind of the, the the seminal moment where I just kind of started looking around and and thinking, huh, if I you know if I got to stay home because of a terrorist attack or something like that, what can I do? Um, that that thought process was driven home by Hurricane Katrina. Uh, like I said, I was living in Charlotte at the time. No, I take that back. My daughter had been born. We were in, we were in Ohio then. Uh, so Hurricane Katrina happened in 05. I was in Columbus, where I have been since 02. So I've been here for 20 years. Um, and that is where I saw how inept uh, our government was uh, in terms of planning um, and in terms of staging and executing um and I, I said, I will never be one of those people that are plucking off the roof of their house in a National Guard helicopter. I'm just not going to be that guy. Um, so that's kind of where it started. And the the second question from the reader or a listener was, um, where, where did you start and, and how did you start? And I think I know what they're getting at. Which is, um, 
I started my preparedness journey in my home. And, and I'll explain that. And it's also what I put in the beginning of my book. Hey, I get to hold my book up. In the beginning of my book, Preparing to Prepare. Um, what, I, what I mean by that is I started with the stuff that I knew as a beginner what I was trying to prepare for. So I live in Columbus, Ohio. I get snow. I get ice. I get uh, windstorms. I do not get hurricanes. I get what's left over from a hurricane that has gone up the Mississippi River and then hooked a right into the Ohio Valley. So by the time it gets to me, it's a tropical depression or a tropical storm. Uh, so we get um, minimal amounts of rain, but we'll get it. Um, we'll get some wind. Uh, a lot of the wind that we get um, is blowing anywhere between 30 to 60 miles an hour. They call them derricos. I, that's how I pronounce the word. Um, and in 2007, I lost power for the better part of a week. And that was another stepping stone into upping my preparedness uh, plans. But when I say I started in the home, what I'm talking about is I secured all the important documents. I found and located all of the important documents. That's marriage certificates, that's social security cards, that's passports, that's um, uh, titles to the vehicles, that's the you know deed to the house, you know, all of those important papers. I found them all and I got them photocopied and then I got them secured at an offsite location. After that, I began looking at what weather affects me and I just rattled it off. I get snowstorms, I get um, uh, uh, freezing rain. Um, I live in an old established suburb and all of the power lines are aerial so I'm subject to power outages. How do I combat that? How do I solve that problem? Um, and basically, and, and not, I don't want to say it to give you the impression that it's always this way, but what I did was I started with everything that was free. So securing your documents, that's free. Preparing for uh, weather-related calamities can be free if you do it right. So, um, like if we lose power in the winter because of a blizzard, I can provide heat so we don't have to leave our home. I do that through firewood. I have a wood-burning fireplace. But Dave, the firewood's not free. It is if you know where to look. And I knew where to look. So... I did two things. One, I went through um, uh, Craigslist and a number of other apps like that or websites like that. And I put in literally two terms, free firewood. And I got a ton of it. And I have uh, a couple of those uh, wood racks, you know, the eight foot long, four foot tall. So that's half a cord. And I have more than that. And I built little shed roofs over the where I keep the wood piles. That keeps it uh, from getting rain on it, getting snow, getting ice, whatever. I protected the firewood. Um, I also, you know, people move, and you know, when you when you know enough people, 
and you live in a suburban area, they say, hey, I, you know, we're moving. Anybody want this firewood? Yep, be right there. They always know they can call me and I'll come get it because I love firewood. I cook on it too outside. I'm on, I have a little fire pit and that's how I made my maple syrup last year. Um, there's some fine tuning obviously that needs to take place, but I was able to do it. But <clears throat> that reminds me, before I get to the list, uh, we had a snowstorm last week and I've got pictures and I'm putting them up on the screen and um, basically what we got on Wednesday, no, Thursday, Wednesday we got all rain. It literally rained all day. Thursday, it changed over to sleet. I got two and a half inches of sleet on my driveway and on the street, like little little frozen pieces of ice. That's it. I got that. Um, I saw the snowplow literally drive down my street and clear the street, and I watched the sleet just pile up in, in the plow as he pushed it off to the sides. And I said, aha! And I fired up my snowblower, and I went outside, and I got all of the sleet off of my driveway. This is important. I got it off of my sidewalks. And then at, so we got 15 hours of sleet, nonstop sleet. And then at about 4 o'clock on Thursday afternoon, it changed over to snow. And it snowed from 4 p.m. Thursday until about mm, 8 a.m. Friday morning. Uh, so we got about 8 inches of snow. But because I had removed the sleet, I was able to clear the driveway off. By and large, more or less. Unfortunately... My daughter had some friends come over and they drove on the driveway and they compacted some of the snow so I couldn't always get all of it off. But um, we were prepared. We never lost power. That's, that's important. The reason we didn't lose power is because we didn't get freezing rain. We got sleet. If we'd have gotten freezing rain, that's when the limbs get too heavy and start snapping off and they start uh, shutting off power. So, uh, so we survived Armageddon, Snowmageddon, whatever they want to call it, whatever... Winter storm, whatever they named it, you know, which I think is just complete hogwash. I don't know why they started naming winter storms, if for no other reason than to sensationalize weather. And it just, it really bothers me. So, there you go. That's how I got into prepping. That's how I survived the snowstorm. We got lucky with the sleet instead of the freezing rain. But I was prepared for it. Okay, so now... We're going to talk about, we're going to do uh, 18 vintage homesteading tools to search for at garage sales. And I've typed them up and I'm going to put them up on the screen for those of you that are uh, watching the show. Um, but I'm not going to go so fast as to have people that are on the audio only not be able to catch it. Um, so they've broken it up into uh, a couple, well couple things and it looks like um, we've got uh, kitchen items or kitchen tools is what they've called them and then we've got uh, workshop tools and okay so they broke it up kitchen tools workshop tools you ready all right number one cast iron dutch oven I don't know a prepper who doesn't have some form of cast iron cookware 
I have frying pans, grates, Dutch ovens. Uh, I've got bread pans, you know, cast iron Dutch oven. Number two, a pressure cooker. We talked about this in the uh, uh, episode 41, where we talked about different food preservation methods. One of them is a pressure cooker. Uh, number three is a food mill. Uh, and that, that's actually pretty important, um, which is different. Uh, to me, a food mill is different than a meat grinder. And based off of what I'm seeing here, they actually broke it up as well. Uh, so a food mill is something that I would use to process dry goods. A meat grinder is something I'm going to use to combine ingredients that are being processed from an animal. So if I want to make um, me, uh, some sort of uh, hamburger based something or something with, with pork, um, I can use the meat grinder and I can get my spices in there and then I can use those to fill uh, like sausage casings or something like that if I was going to go that route. Uh, number four was meat grinder. Number five was a lever arm juicer. Number six was the French press. I do, I have a French press and I love it. But you need to be able to grind the whole bean. So, uh, can you do that without power? I can. Can you? Uh, number seven is a grater. So that's like, so most kitchens are going to have this. You have like a stand-up grater that you can use uh, for everything from uh, trying to get lemon or lime zest down to slicing cheese. Uh, I have a manual slicer. Uh, that thing is a, that thing will take a knuckle in a heartbeat. But I use that for tomatoes and onions if I'm going to dice things up or whatever. You just, it's great. It's a manual slicer. Um, but that's not on their list. That's just something I have. Uh, number eight is an apple slicer and corer. So it's a it's a disc about that big. Uh, hold that up. It's about that big. It's got little handles on the side, but it's got metal dividers. So when you shove it down, and there's a circle in the middle, when you shove it down, the circle in the middle goes and captures the core. And then the metal slice is on the side. It looks like little wedges, and it'll actually slice your apple. It's great. Uh, number nine is a manual egg beater. Number 10 is a meat hammer. That's great for uh, tenderizing meat and, and chicken. Uh, mine actually has dual sides. So one has uh, dimples on it, so that helps kind of tenderize it a little bit more. The flat edge, the flat side of it, I use that to kind of flatten the uh, I use it for flattening chicken um, because I like to make uh, stuffed chicken dishes. So I'll make, I'll stuff it with like spinach and cheese and then roll it up and then tie it up with some, with some cooking uh, twine. All right. So that's, that's 10 and uh, that comprises their uh, kitchen tools. And then 11 through eight are your wood shop or workshop tools. Uh, so number 11 uh, a blacksmith forge and anvil. That one might be tough to find at a garage sale. Uh, number 12, I have these, wood splitting wedges. Uh, number 13, I call it an adze. Um, other people have pronounced it differently. It's, it's spelled A-D-Z-E. 
and you use that. It looks like um, it looks like a really narrow hoe, but it's incredibly sharp, and you use that for hollowing out things, or you can use that um, to kind of trim down logs. It depends on what you're doing as, as to how you're going to use it, but I don't have one. Um, they're, they're not necessarily practical for me. Um, it looks kind of like, um, oh, what's that tool? Pickaxe. Uh, so I have, I call it a pickaxe. So on one side, it has that flat blade on it, like a hoe. Um, and then on the other side, it's perpendicular to the blade and it's more for like cutting through a root or something like that. It's, 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 it's about half the width of the blade. Um, so there you go. Added, added inf information there. Number 14 is a draw knife. Uh, that's, that's a, a wonderful little woodworking tool. Um, number 15 is a gimlet and gimlets are what uh, you can use to kind of drill a hole. You just kind of torque, twist it, and torque it in there, and it'll it'll drill a hole for you. But I actually have old, you know, hand crank um, uh, drills. You know, just you just hold that thing in place and just start turning, and you can drill a hole. Uh, a gimlet is uh, used. It's a little bit smaller. Uh, it's for smaller holes, but the the big ones that I have are for bigger holes. I got it specifically so I could build. Uh, large wooden structures in the woods you know so it's great for driving wooden pegs uh, or drilling the holes to drive wooden pegs for like a log cabin or something like that uh, number 16 is a carpenter's brace this one stumped me I didn't know what this was this is for heavy-duty drilling the carpenter's brace is a way to go a two-handed tool and they didn't give me a picture of it which is maybe what I just described Maybe what I have is a, is a carpenter's brace. Um, but they said, a two-handed tool, one hand provides downward pressure while the other hand is a motor. Um, well, there you go. That's what I have. I have a carpenter's brace. <laughs> it's that one you hold down in place and you, you turn it. Um, number 17 is a sewing awl. Uh, that's, that's great if you're going to be doing a lot of uh, stitching uh, leather work. Um, and then... Number 18, to finish out their list, they put down old-time nail puller. Well, you know, okay, so you can you can go to any home improvement store, any uh, small-town hardware store. They're going to have nail pullers, so it depends on what you're trying to do. Um, I have some that I kept in my tool bag. They're about uh, 8 inches long, and then it has a, a hooked tip with a slot in it, and that's great for getting a nail out, you know, 16 penny, 8 penny nails, um, you know, a misfire on a nail gun, and you can still get to the head of it. Uh, the claw is great for digging it out if the, if the nail head is recessed. Um, and then you have other nail pullers that look more like pry bars, um, and there are larger nail pullers that actually are, you know, that has like a 3 foot or a 4 foot tall um metal shaft attached to them that's that's for using it as a fulcrum uh like if you're going to break apart pallets and things like that um but an old-time nail puller is it's a bit of a misnomer because there's modern ones out there but you know the old ones maybe they're maybe they're wanting you to get that because they want you to have one that's maybe made better could be um all right 
So that is 18 vintage homesteading tools to search for at garage sales. I've actually seen a lot of those at a garage sale. Um, and that reminds me, my wife and I were out over the weekend and we went into a store. Um, it was called Restore. And it, it looks like people that have had garage sales uh, and they don't know where to take stuff, but it's not necessarily things you can take to the Goodwill. Uh, you go to Restore and it's all just, you know, it's equipment. It's, it's old stoves. It's old, you know, it's... I don't know. I saw a bunch of hot water heaters in there, ceiling fans, um, all kinds of stuff. And I, what I saw in there, I saw somebody foolish enough donated an old two-burner Coleman stove. With it had the you know the red tank, and then you kind of you take the tank out and you insert it into the slot, and you know it's one of those you gotta you gotta pump up the tank to build up pressure. It's smaller than the one that I have that's actually older than me. Um, so I think what I'm going to do, I don't know why. I do not know why, but it's in my head. During lunch today, I'm going to go back to that store. I'm going to go buy it. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought I'd share that with you. Um, and then, okay, so this last list is 23 medicinal plants Native Americans used. I'm giving you this list because... Oh my God, I have another book. Woo! I'm holding up my book for the people that aren't watching it, watching this episode, they're listening to it. It's the Home Remedies book. Um, but everything that's in this list is in that book. So, uh, but I thought it, I would share it with you. Um, so 23 medicinal plants Native Americans use on a daily basis. Number one, yarrow. Uh, it's good for stopping excess bleeding. Number two, sumac. Um, this one, the Native Americans, they used it to treat eye problems. Uh, number three, blackberry. The Cherokee used this plant for treating an upset stomach. I did not know that. Number four, rosemary. Uh, Native Americans considered this plant sacred. They used it mostly as an analgesic for alleviating sore joints. Hey, that's great. I actually made my yummy uh, rosemary peasant bread. I went out to my garden and I snipped off a couple branches there. And uh, I diced some of that up, put it in the dough, and then I uh, roughly chopped another set. And that was part of the topping. You sprinkle it on before you throw it in the oven. Uh, so, hey, I... Don't have any hand pain this morning. It's because of the rosemary. Who knew? Uh, number five, uh, the mint. Cherokee used mint to uh, soothe digestion problems and help an upset stomach. Number eight, or I'm sorry, number six, red clover. I've never seen red clover. That one I know is not in the book. Red clover. Has been used by native healers for treating inflammation and respiratory conditions. Recent studies have shown that red clover helps to prevent heart disease by improving circulation and lowering cholesterol. Huh. Number seven, black gum bark. That one actually, I think, is in the book. It's being used as part of a tincture. Um, and sure enough, the Cherokee used this to make wild tea. A mild tea, I'm sorry, uh, to relieve chest pain. 
Number eight, you can find this anywhere near water usually, is cattail. Um, the used it for food, but also as a preventative medicine. It's easily digestible and is helpful for recovering from illness. It's called the supermarket of the swamp, and it can be used in multiple dishes. <laughs> okay. Number nine, pull out a sticker. That's what they called it, pull out a sticker, and then in parentheses it said Greenbrier. Uh, this is a root, they use this as a root tea um, for blood purification and for relieving joint pain. Some healers made a salve for, from leaves and bark mixed with hog lard, which was applied to minor sores, scalds, and burns. Okay. Uh, number 10, Hummingbird Blossom, and then in parentheses they called it Buckbrush. Um, this one's used for mouth and throat conditions as well as cysts, fibroid tumors, and inflammation. I'm getting a theme here that there was a lot of joint pain and inflammation uh, being addressed with these ingredients. And it would make sense when you have a nomadic type of of tribe that moves from hunting grounds to winter grounds to you know summer grounds whatever I mean if you're moving and I mean this is a subsistence lifestyle of Native Americans um, it makes sense that you're gonna have joint pains and inflammation uh, number 11 wild rose uh, it, it they used it as a tea for common colds okay uh, for those of you in the southern climates, the number 12 is the saw palmetto. Um, the native tribes of Florida, such as the Seminoles, use this plant for food, but medicine men used it as a natural remedy for abdominal pain. It also helps with digestion, reduce inflammation, and stimulate appetite. So these are people that are likely recovering from something. Um or have been sick with some sort of abdominal issue and, and are reluctant to eat again. So they give them that. Uh, number 13 is sage. I grow this. It's great with chicken. Just saying. Um, it's commonly used as a spice, but it's considered sacred for many indigenous tribes and was thought to have effective purifying energies and to cleanse the body of negative energies. As a remedy, it would be used for treating medical conditions like abdominal cramps, spasms, cuts, bruise, colds, and flu. Okay. Number 14 is wild ginger. They use that for earaches and ear infections. They made a mild tea from the rootstock for stimulating digestive system and relieving bloating. Uh, it also helps with bronchial infections and nausea. Well, there you go. Number 15, Slippery Elm. Um, Native Americans used the inner bark to fashion bowstrings, rope, thread, and clothing. Tea was made from the bark and leaves to soothe toothaches, respiratory irritations, skin conditions, stomach ache, sore throats, and even spider bites. Okay. Number 16, Lavender. I do grow this. I, I do enjoy lavender. It smells great. It looks wonderful. It, it's a nice color combination with my landscaping. But my wife thinks I just did it because I wanted it to look pretty in the, on the landscaping. And I actually, I grew it 
<laughs> for medicinal purposes. But, you know. Uh, this one's great for insomnia, anxiety, depression, headache, and fatigue. The essential oil has antiseptic and anti-inflammatory properties. Infusions can be used to soothe insects, insect bites as well as burns. Uh, I don't have this here, but number 17 is prickly pear cactus. Um, my in-laws have a second home in Arizona. I see this all over the place there. Um, it's used for food and medicine. Uh, Native Americans made a poultice from mature pads as an antiseptic for treating wounds, burns, and boils. A tea was made to treat urinary tract infections and help the immune system. Uh, number 18, honeysuckle. I've got this in spades. I actually, I, I have a, a, a honeysuckle tree. It actually, was, it's an invasive species in Ohio, and they were supposed to get rid of, everybody was supposed to get rid of them all, but whoever owned the house, well, my in-laws owned the house before I did, but I don't know who planted it, but they let it grow, and now I've got a trunk, a, just a giant tree out there, and, and it just covers up that whole back corner, and it is great. I love having that there because it attracts pollinators and my garden is nearby. So it's about understanding what things you have can utilize and work in your favor. A honeysuckle tree that attracts pollinators, probably not a bad idea to put some sort of garden plant there that needs pollination. That's what I did. Ah, man. So... The Native Americans used honeysuckle to treat asthma, but it has multiple healing purposes, including rheumatoid arthritis, mumps, and hepatitis. It also helps with upper respiratory tract infections, such as pneumonia. Well, you know, when you're going to get pneumonia, <laughs> you can't, there's no fresh honeysuckle. So you're going to have to go and harvest it, and I guess hold on to it. I've, I've never tried to harvest honeysuckle. I mean, you can, I guess that flowers would dry. Maybe you could you do that. Um, number 18, or I'm sorry, number 19, ashwagandha. Hey, look at that. It's my ashwagandha gummies. I take them every day. Um, what did they say? It treats bone weakness, muscle weakness, and tension, loose teeth, memory loss, and rheumatism. Um there you go. It can also be used as a sedative. Well, I'm not finding it as a sedative. Um, it also has overall rejuvenating effect on the body, and it improves, and as it improves vitality, that's what I'm using it for. The leaves and the root bark can also be used as an antibiotic. If made into a poultice, it helps reduce swelling and treat pain. Caution is advised in the use of this plant since it is toxic. <laughs> You got to know what you're doing, folks. Uh, number 20 is mullein. M-U-L-L-E-I-N. It says, a tobacco-like plant. It was mainly used to treat respiratory disorders. Native Americans made concoctions from the roots to reduce swelling in joints, feet, and feet or hands. Interesting. I've never heard of mullein. Number 21 is licorice root that one is in the book um, it's famously used for flavoring candies food and beverages but it's also used by healers to treat stomach problems bronchitis food poisoning and chronic fatigue 
Kind of like charcoal, it sounds like. Um, number 22 is Uva Ursi. Uh, because of the bear's affection toward this plant's fruits, it's known as the bearberry or bear grape. The Native Americans use this plant mainly for treating bladder and urinary tract infections. And number 23 is Devil's Claw. This is a new one to me. I don't, I'm not familiar with this one. And I, I want to say, based on the picture I'm looking at, looks like it grows in more arid environments but uh let's see what does it say uh although the name would suggest a poisonous plant the native americans used it to heal various conditions from treating fever to soothing skin conditions improving digestion and treating arthritis the tea can reduce the effects of diabetes while a concoction made from the plant's root reduces swelling and helps with joint joint disease arthritis gout Back pain, headache, and sores. Well, there you go. All right, so that was uh, 23 uh, medicinal plants that Native Americans use on a daily basis. There you go. Um, so, that, um, what else? I think that was it. I got to figure out a way to get the information to you. So if you're not watching the video and pausing it or taking notes while listening, you know, I, I wonder if um, maybe I can get these, you know, I'll just put like show notes up on the website on my blog um, so that you, you can at least see the list and you can go look at it and maybe print it, uh, you know. Maybe that's not a bad idea. I'll, I'll, I'll put it like expanded show notes on the blog from time to time. And I think this might be a good episode to start that practice. Um, so that's the show. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something useful out of it. We covered uh, kind of how my preparedness journey started and kind of where I started from in terms of my, my planning. Um, and, and to recap, it basically was taking care of the free stuff, stuff that was within my control, that was in my house, that's all of my important documents. And then it was uh, addressing uh, weather-related calamities that I could prepare for. And and then it kind of took on a life of its own from there. Um, you know, how would I get to my children if there was an incident at the school? Um, what if I'm on the road and I am trying to get home so that you have the vehicle planning kits and, and, and so on and so forth. And it kind of grew from there. It was mostly how do I keep my family safe and how do I get my family home if there's an incident? And that's really where I started. And then from there, um, you know, I loved being outside. I took up gardening uh, and then I started teaching myself how to harvest seeds um, and then I, you know, started doing searches. Where can I find heirloom seeds instead of the uh, the the seeds that are in the hardware store that you know they couldn't really tell me where they came from and and were they heirloom or were they not? They they didn't know. The packaging was not clear, you know. So that kind of snowballed from there. You know, you you learn how to garden, you learn how to harvest seed, you learn how to work the soil, and then once you get a harvest, then you gotta you know you start learning about 
uh, canning and and food preservation methods and um, you know what if we and then then the big leap came when you know what happens if we have to go somewhere else you know how do I get my family from A to B okay now everybody gets their own pack um, it's a get out of dodge pack or it's a bug out bag you know it just depends on what naming convention and purpose but the bag holds as to what type of bag it is so uh, it, that's how it, that's how it went um, and then we just uh, we went through two lists from two articles that I had found that I had printed four years ago uh, 18 vintage homesteading tools and 23 medicinal plants um, so I'm gonna get it all typed up and it'll yeah I think this episode I'm gonna I'm gonna type up the show notes like I normally do for for putting it out on the various apps for the podcast um, but I think I'm, I'm gonna the list that I put up on screen I'm gonna include as kind of an expanded show notes for my website yeah it's decided that's what I'm gonna do <laughs> all right folks hope you had a good week and uh, we'll see you on the weekend for the uh, the jackassery minute um, so be good stay safe stay warm Keep your head on the swivel. I'm out. Happy Hunger Games. And may the odds be ever in your favor. Mm-hmm.